Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Uh, Thank you. Um, I didn't know that Darren was going to wear the same shirt as me today. It's something um, probably you don't know, but there's... um, as pastors, you get like a, um, a wardrobe given to you as soon as you become a pastor, and we happen to be wearing the same shirt. Anyway, um, thank you. It's great to be here. Um, I really mean this. We, we felt incredibly welcome and incredibly supported by you guys. I know that you, you probably don't know who we are, um, but Darren and Alex have been um, fantastic in just wanting to be generous with you guys, <laughs> you, you didn't know about that, but they're being generous with you and, and generous with um, so much, uh, and it's, it, it means a huge deal to us. Um, we're very excited about the future. Um, it's all good. And it's, it's nice to be amongst uh, people who are friendly. You know, I'm from London, and it's really nice to be amongst people who are friendly. I think especially um, on, on the West Coast, you guys, you're, you're like happy, you smile, you say nice things, you're polite, you look people in the eye. In London, no one looks anyone in the eye, and they never smile. Or if they smile, they just half smile. Um, and I'll tell you why they only half smile. It's because of their teeth. <laughs> we don't want people to see our teeth. But you guys have great teeth. It's one of the greatest things about the United States of America. So is there a football game on today? Yeah, you need to publicize that more, because I, I've heard nothing about that. Uh, anyway, I'm a, um, uh, uh, I'm a Patriots fan. Go Patriots. Well, Darren tried this earlier. None of you care about football at all. I don't really care either. I'm British. Anyway, there we go. But actually, um, I don't think things are that different between... Um, you and us, obviously there are differences, but uh, I, I think increasingly it's, it's cities like Long Beach, like Los Angeles, like London, like New York, Tokyo, Paris, whatever. These increasingly, I think, um, share so much that they're actually more connected than, than other places within this country. Um, and so I don't think um, it's, it's that strange for us um, in some ways to be coming from London to plant in Los Angeles. In lots of ways it is very strange. But I think increasingly this is how the world is going. The cities are becoming connected, less so maybe than other parts of um, the countries that those cities are in. Um, and so it, it's been great to, to, to partner with you guys. And as Darren said, I do think relationships uh, are what the kingdom's built in. And the reason we're coming to Los Angeles is because there's a bunch of people that we know who have been connected to St. Mary's who are there, who have been saying, would you come and plant a church? Um, But also it's been great to um, develop and and sort of foster the relationship with you here. And it will always be about relationship. I think church planting is always about relationship. Um, and, And we do feel hugely supported. But in lots of ways, I think it's a bit strange for me uh, to be planting a church. Um, I was brought up in a a Christian home, uh, but um, my experience of of church growing up was not a a good one. I went to a boys' English boarding school, uh, which is, you know, we're we're slightly uptight. Uh, This is like super uptight, frightfully proper, that sort of a place. 
and part of this frightfully proper place, um, we had to go to school chapel every day, and it was very traditional, hard pews, ritual, um, tradition. No one wanted to be there. Everyone had to go. No one believed anything. I asked the priest once what he believed, and it was clear he didn't know what he believed. And I thought, well, this is reassuring. You know, what's the point in this? What is the point in this? I'm, I don't want anything to do with this. And then my other experience of, of Christianity growing up was a couple of um, Christian holiday camps that I was sent on. Um, uh, these were like for, for boys only. And um, my overriding experience of those was uh, it's like um, outdoor pursuits and guilt. Basically, that's, the, that's, what, that's what they're doing. Uh, you know, rock climbing in the morning and God really doesn't like you in the afternoon. That sort of a thing. And so I got to a stage of going, okay, well, I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything going on here. I don't like church. I don't believe it. I don't th- think there's anything going on here. And I, I became an agnostic, and then I actually became an atheist. And, um, and I went to Cambridge University, and then I went to, um, started working in advertising in London. And things were going pretty well for me. I could kind of see how my life was um, going. Uh, I had all the things that I thought were important in life, and they were great. And whilst I'd never have admitted it at the time, actually, increasingly, there was this sort of gnawing feeling at me, at the heart of me, saying, um, there's got to be something more. This, this, I've got everything I thought I want, and yeah, this isn't enough. And so I did sort of look into um, spirituality, and I thought, what I'm going to do is, I've had a bit of experience of church, I'm pretty sure it's terrible, so I'm going to go to church and just cross it off once and for all, so I never have to come back. And then I went to this church, and I walked through the doors, and I remember saying to God, I don't even know if I believe in you. I'm pretty sure I don't believe in you. I'm pretty sure you don't exist. But I'm going to come along, but I will not get involved. (laughs) And then 10 years of working there, becoming a pastor, now planting a church, I kind of think God at that moment was going, ha, ha, yeah, right, Uh, because I'm now super involved. Um, the reason for that is a number of, um, is, is a number of things, but um, on one of those first experiences of going to church, um, someone was preaching, I don't know what they were talking about, I can't remember really, um, there was some worship, I don't think it was particularly good, it was probably Chris, only joking, uh, but, I, um, but I found myself all of a sudden at the front of church at the end. Um, asking for someone to pray with me, and I don't really know why. I don't know how I'd got there. It was just, it, it happened. And what happened when someone prayed for me was I felt an incredible power run through my body. It was like uh, electricity coursing through um, every bone. And I don't, uh, I had no expectation. I didn't even, I didn't even believe in God, really. Um, but it was very, very powerful. And what it made me realize is there's something going on here. This is actually real. I don't know if I believe it. I don't know if I want to become a Christian, but there is something going on here. Very powerful. And it kept me coming back. And then over a period of time, I um, explored all the reasons um, and and the arguments for for Jesus' resurrection and who he was. And I looked at it and I thought, actually, this makes sense. And intellectually, I became convinced and I became a Christian. But I continued to have ongoing experiences of God's power because I don't believe that any of us operate purely on an intellectual level or purely on an experiential level I think we we need both we have to be convinced and continually convinced and have our faith grown as we see 
the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done in the pages of Scripture, but we also have to have an ongoing, real, dynamic experience of the Holy Spirit because he's the lifeblood. He is, he is what keeps us going. It's intellect and experience. And that's kind of what I want to talk about um, today. Uh, I know some of this will be um, very familiar to you. Um, but in, in my experience, there will be Christians, probably charismatic Pentecostal Christians, um, who have a very rich experience of the Holy Spirit, but often their theology and sometimes their practice and beliefs are a bit kind of out of whack. It can be manipulative, it can be hyped, it can be not really undergirded by Scripture and all a bit crazy. And then there are people who have a very good theological understanding of who the Holy Spirit is uh, and what he does, but for various reasons their experience of him is a bit deficient. Uh, they may be part of a church where uh, the Holy Spirit isn't really talked about or um, it's not uh, accepted that the Holy Spirit is currently working in the same ways uh, we see him working in the New Testament. Um, or they've had bad experiences. They've had bad experiences and thought, I'm not, not dealing with that. It's, it's been manipulative or whatever. Um, or they've just not been able to open themselves to the Spirit. Um, but the problem is I don't think either of those positions are conducive to a happy Christian life. I don't think either of those positions actually enable us to live the lives that God has for us. Because Paul says in his second letter to Timothy, I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. He does not say, I know what I've believed, because Christianity is not merely just a set of beliefs to subscribe to. And he doesn't say, I believe in someone, but I'm really not sure what he's like. Because Christianity is not some sort of vague, mystical experience of an undefined God. He says, I know whom I have believed, because Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God made known. An experience of this relationship is only possible through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Once when we become Christians, and then on and on and on and on and on. So we need a proper theology, and a proper experience of the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, I think, um, sometimes, and Darren was alluding to this earlier, sometimes the Holy Spirit has been kind of relegated to a bit part. You know, God, great. God the Father, great. God the Son, great. Holy Spirit, well, if you like. You know, if you like, Holy Spirit, but only if you like. A bit like anchovies on pizza. They're not for everyone. But that's not going to do. It's not going to do. He's not an optional extra. He's the third person of the Trinity. No more or less vital than God the Father and God the Son. But throughout the ages, and you can trace this back through history, I think Christians have got in trouble when they've made two errors when it comes to the person and the work of the Spirit. The first is when the Holy Spirit is granted personality, but not divinity. The second is when he's granted divinity and not personality. So when he has... uh, Actually, I'm not going to say that. Um, the thing is, throughout Scripture, both his personality and his divinity are attested to the whole time. He's given the name of God. At creation, the spirit who hovers over the waters is Ruach Elohim. It's the name of God. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, is met by an angel, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come to you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The title Most High, again, a divine designation. And Paul states in 1 Corinthians 12 that the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
So he has the name of God, but he also has the attributes of God. In Hebrews, he's described as eternal, a predicate unique to divinity. He, like God, is omnipresent. Where can I go from your spirit, says David? I can't get away from him. He's also omniscient, knowing everything. Paul argues in 1 Corinthians that only God's spirit knows God's thoughts, and it's he who reveals them to humankind. And as Jesus states, it's possible to sin against and blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So he also has the attributes of God, and finally he does divine things. Where God made his dwelling amongst his people Israel in the temple in the Old Testament, Paul states that now because of Jesus, the church, the people of God, you and me, here we are individually and corporately, we are the temple of God because and by virtue of his spirit dwelling amongst us, dwelling inside our hearts. And at creation it's God's spirit who breathes life into Adam. So he has the name of God, he has the attributes of God, and he does the things that God does. So I think it's a pretty safe bet that he is God. You know, if it barks like a dog and wags like a dog and looks like a dog, it's probably a dog. He does the things, he looks like the things, he is the thing, he's God. But he is also a distinct person. He, like a person, comforts and hears and speaks and teaches. He determines the course of the direction of the church in Acts, The church is led by someone, not something. You see, the church should not be led by programs and management consultancy. And this is the great strategy. Of course, plans are important. But throughout the New Testament, the church is led by someone, and his name is the Holy Spirit. We've got to follow the Spirit. He helps and prays for the church in her weakness. In Romans 8, he has a mind, the capacity for intelligent thought. In 1 Corinthians 12, he has a will, he has a desire. And in Ephesians 4, that he feels things. He actually feels things. He has the ability to be grieved and insulted. We can hurt the spirit. But these are hardly the faculties of a sort of inanimate, impersonal force or energy. They are the traits of a dynamic, rational, thinking, feeling, relational person. The Holy Spirit is the eternal, powerful God. And so what I want to do um, for our time together is is, um, talk a little bit about what he actually does. And this is in Romans 8, um, and it's coming up on the screen. Paul's greatest theological work. This is sort of the apex of his thinking. Uh, It's the equivalent of Shakespeare's Hamlet, or um, Beethoven's Fifth, or Colonel Sanders' Zinger Towerberger. It does not get better than this. This is the Big Mac of theological work. Here we go, verse 9. So Romans 8 verse 9, you however, you are, you, (laughs) can't say however, you however are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that he, we may also share in his glory. This is good stuff, right? So the first thing, he makes us new. The Spirit makes us new. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, as you'll know, the New Testament writers will use a whole different range of analogies and pictures to describe what happens to someone when they become a Christian. You know, they are new creations, they're born again, they go from darkness to light. Here, it's children. We're children of God, and we're heirs and co-heirs with Christ. You see, when the Spirit gets us, when, we, when we're changed from one thing to another thing, our whole existence is affected. Our past, our present, our future, our body, mind, heart, soul, and spirit. It's something completely new. I remember um, uh, praying with a guy who came to our church. He'd been to a New Year's Eve party, and he'd met some Christians, and he, he knew that there was something about them that he wanted. He wasn't a Christian, hadn't had any sort of Christian upbringing, and he came to church to find out more. And he heard about Jesus, and he became intellectually convinced, and, uh, he, um, and so he gave, his life, uh, he gave his life to God, and he became a Christian. Um, but he wanted to, uh, not just to be an intellectual thing, he wanted it to be an experience as well. So he, he came to the thing where we were praying for people to experience God's Holy Spirit. He came along, um, and he experienced nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. And he was really angry. He was really angry. And he said, listen, I'm doing all the right things. I've become a Christian. I'm here asking the Holy Spirit to meet me, and I am experiencing nothing, and I'm angry about it. And I, I said to him, well, I understand. I understand that, and I'm sorry. In my experience, we can't control how God meets us because he's God, he can do whatever he likes. But I'm sorry that you have had this bad experience, but can I encourage you to, to give it another go? Uh, so another time we, we're praying, and um, I was going up to pray for him, and then um, <laughs> before I got to him, all of a sudden, wham, straight down out on the floor, just lying down on the floor, um, completely poleaxed. And uh, it was one of those things where we, we had the room for a certain amount of time and then we had lunch and people were going off to lunch. But he was still there, right at the front, and we were like vacuuming around him. <laughs> there he is, still there, vacuuming around him. Anyway, I talked to him afterwards and he said, um, uh, I said, well, so what was, you know, what was different this time? What was going on? And he said, well, I said to God, give me one good reason why I should worship you. <laughs> Bang! He said it was the most incredible experience of his life. Incredibly powerful. But what was more interesting, I think, was what then happened. Because he said, I went home, and I, I haven't been a Christian in my life. I've only just become a Christian. I've lived, you know, a, a, a normal, non-Christian life. Um, and during that time, I've, I've got quite a, um, a collection of porn. Um, and, and I'm quite proud of my porn collection. But I got home, and I saw this, and I thought, I don't want to have any of that ever again. And I got a big black uh, trash can liner, put it all in there, took it out to a skip, threw it away. It was the most freeing thing I've ever done. And then I came home and I thought, I just want to chill out. So I sat down and I played this PlayStation game. And it's, a sta- uh, it's a thing where I have a huge gun and I go around shooting enormous monsters. And I'm, sit- and I'm really good at it. I've got to all the level and I'm, I'm playing it. And I'm thinking, actually, I don't want to shoot anyone. Not even strange monsters on my screen. I don't want to shoot. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be violent. 
I just want to love. He makes us completely new. He makes us completely new. And he makes us clean. He cleans us from the inside out. We're all a bit dirty. Um, I haven't got time, but I could tell you some of my dirt. Before, a, before I was a Christian, a lot of it. After I was a Christian, a little bit less and less and less, but still there, quite a lot of dirt. We can't clean ourselves. I know there will be people here who are feeling pretty dirty. Can I just talk to you for a second? Don't make the mistake of thinking that you can pay for it. Give it to him and he'll wash it as white as snow. He never stops forgiving over and over and over again, once and for all, for all time, and over and over and over again. Don't make the mistake of trying to clean yourself. Give it to him and watch him wash it away. He'll forget it. Though our sin is like scarlet, he makes us as white as snow. You probably don't know what snow looks like, do you? It's really, really white. (laughs) And he makes us sons and daughters. Verse 15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. um, If you've been around church for a long time, you, you may know that Abba means... Daddy, or people will say that Abba means daddy. Um, It's an intimate term. Um, That's not actually strictly true. Abba really means dada. Dada is much more basic. Um, I I was struggling to remember that I have children this morning just because I'm jet-lagged. But I have three children, five, three, and one. Um, I know their names and everything. Uh, um, They're great. But my my one-year-old is just beginning to speak. She's just beginning to make sounds. And I think it's a, a biological thing, but, but children find it easier to say um, da rather than ma. Um, it's always winds Hannah up. She's going, say mama, mama, da, 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 da. Say mama, da, da. Um, they find it easier to say it. That, that's what she's currently saying to me, da, 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 da. And that basic, it's not even a word. It's, it's an expression of love and intimacy. Da, 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 da. It's, not, it's not even sophisticated enough to be a word. And that is what God calls us to call him, our Father in heaven. My, uh, my father died uh, a couple of years ago, and um, uh, he, he had dementia, and it was quite a long process. And it was, it was a difficult time because I, I, I've never really had much of a relationship with him. He, he was there, but he was really absent. In, in, our, in, in our whole childhood, actually, in my whole life, I never um, can remember having a conversation with him. We may have had conversations, I just can't remember. Because he, he, was, he, was, he, he tried his best, but he just wasn't really there. And it was, um, it was a difficult time for me, that whole thing. But when I, um, when I first became a Christian, after that initial experience of, of experiencing God's power and him really being real... What I experienced for quite a long time after that, whenever people prayed for me, whenever I opened myself to the Spirit, was a lot of love. It was a lot of love. It was like just love. The love of my Father in heaven. 
And that was hugely formational for me because um, I just thought God was a bit like my father. He's a bit distant and absent and he wasn't really interested in me. But what I experienced was a God who thought I was fantastic. Who thought I was wonderful and was proud of me and didn't really care about anyone else in the room. He just cared about me. I think God is like the, the guy, you know, he, he, comes, he, he walks into the party and there's all these people chatting and they're, they're having drinks and they're chatting. And what he does is he makes a beeline for you and he says, what I want to do is talk to you. I'm not interested in that. I want to talk to you. It's the love of the Father. And he makes us satisfied. This is um, Charles Finney. He was a mid-19th century American evangelist. Uh, You may well have heard of him. Now, he is an American, so he he can be a little bit emotional and free. So I just warn you, this is his... So he grew up as a Christian, but hadn't experienced the Spirit until later on in his life. This is his experience of the Spirit. A bit emotional. It would be difficult for me as an English person. (laughs) Without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was any such thing for me, without any recollection that I'd ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression, like a wave of electricity, going through and through me. It's a dramatic experience. He goes on, Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. For I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words could express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I do not know, but I should say, I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. These waves came over and over and over me, one after another, until I recollect I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord! I cannot bear it anymore. This is the love of God. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. He satisfies our souls. We're all looking for satisfaction, every single one of us. The Spirit's the only one who can really give it. And finally, he makes us powerful. We need God's power to live the lives he has for us and to do the things he wants us to do. Before his baptism, before the Spirit came on him, when he was baptised in the Jordan, Jesus did very little. After it, he changed the world. Before the disciples experienced the power of the Spirit at Pentecost, they did very little. After it, they changed the world. For us, we have to experience power in order to change the world. The potential that we have when it's infused and set alight by the power of the Spirit is incredible. It's incredible. We must be filled with the power of the Spirit. We must be filled with the power of the Spirit over and over and over again. Otherwise, it's just ourselves. And let's be honest, just ourselves to the world, not very useful. Ourselves, driven by the Spirit, very, very useful. What the world is crying out for. And Chris and I, who's leading worship, we've done a few trips before, and we went to um, we went to Germany, uh, to to Berlin, to talk to a church there. And um, at the end of this weekend, it had been quite a long weekend, quite a tiring weekend. 
and um, uh, we got to the end of it, and the pastor of the church said, uh, would, you, would you pray for me? And uh, I was thinking, I'm really tired. The answer's probably no. <laughs> uh, Chris, much nicer than me. The answer's yes. Uh, and I said, oh, I really don't want to do this. But I've got to because I'm a Christian. So I did pray for him, and, and we prayed for him together. And basically he said, I'm worried about um, uh, my relationship with my, my two sons, and I'd really love you to pray for it because I don't think I'm being a very good dad to them. And so anyway, I, I started praying for him. And I felt like God say to me, um, tell him he's like a lion. He's like a lion. And I just thought, it's a bit weird, but I'm going to go for that. So I said, you're like, you're like a lion. God thinks you're like a lion. Uh, at which point, and German people, a little bit like English people, can be quite uptight. So he was quite kind of proper and whatever, you know, keeping it all together. But as I'm praying for him, suddenly he's sort of starting to experience something. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is touching him, he's speaking to him. So I say, oh, you're like a lion. You're like a lion. I keep going, I think, hey, I'm on it. Uh, You're like a lion. You're like a lion. And he's going more and more and more and more. God thinks you're like a lion. He's saying you're a lion. He's going more and more and more and more. And then Chris comes over. And Chris starts to pray for him on the other side and says, "Um, just feel like God's saying you're like an oak tree. And I'm like, Chris. We've established he's like a lion. <laughs> but to my, to, to my complete um, bemusement, oak tree, we're getting even more. So Chris is going, he's like an oak tree, he's like an oak tree. And I'm going, he's like a lion, he's like a lion, he's like an oak tree, he's like an oak tree. He's really going, he's really going, very powerful experience. I talked to him afterwards and he goes, that was the most powerful experience and so reassuring to me because I've been thinking, am I a good um, good father to my kids but um, what I felt God was saying in you saying I'm like a lion and like an oak tree is that I'm like a lion to my kids and I'm like an oak tree to my kids and what you, you don't know is that I've got two sons one son, his name in German is, means lion the other son, his name in German means oak tree it was the most reassuring thing in the world that's, that's the power of God that is the power of God Dustin, would you mind? Is that okay? Um, this is Dustin. We've just met. Um, come, come up here. I just wanted to ask you a couple of things. Is there a microphone I can... So, um, Dustin, you were, you were here at the earlier service, um, and you came forward at the end for prayer. Um, what happened? Let's take the time, it's okay. When you were preaching, I, uh, I wanted to ask you after the service, what about me who loves the Lord and I don't feel his presence anymore and how do I how do I come to him when I've known the truth and still sinned and I came up front and I couldn't stand I went on my knees and then my hands started to shake and get really like almost like a seizure like I couldn't control them and it was like 
like really like stiff like a board or something and it just moved like through my whole body and I'm still kind of kind of doing it a little bit (laughs) (laughs) have you ever experienced anything like that before I've never and I I hate being out of control I (laughs) I feel like like as I'm coming to a little bit more like I'm on the floor it's second service. <laughs> my boots are over there. I'm going to walk in my heels. <laughs> and what do you think God was doing? Breaking back in. I've been pleading to hear from him. And I've needed to let him know that I'm willing to turn from my sin to open my heart for him to be my God again. And that just happened in the last couple of days. Last Sunday was my first Sunday in this room. And I, I, I'm so humbled because I feel like he found me um, just here. And uh, I'm just feeling like I'm getting feeling back now in my limbs. And I'm kind of just... I I feel so much peace, and I feel like I'm truly forgiven in a way that in the last year I've been told, like, the truth is God forgives you. Go and sin no more, whatever, and I just, I couldn't let it go. I I felt so much guilt and shame, and and I I really, truly felt like he has forgotten. That's like the best gift I could ever have. Thank you so much, Dustin. Um, that's the power of the Spirit. That's why we need Him. Would you like to stand? And I think it'd be good to pray um, for you if you don't mind. So, um, at St Mary's, we um, have planted a number of churches across uh, across different parts of the world. And um, one thing that we've always um, felt important to keep right in the front and center is um, ministry, uh, praying for people in the power of the Spirit that is um, biblical and worked out, um, but it is real, it is, is there, but is not um, hyped or um, manipulative, but just allowing the Spirit to do what he, what he wants to do. And w- nothing that we're doing is new. It's all, uh, in fact, we've, we, we learnt it all from John Wimber and the Vineyard guys, not a million miles away from here. Um, and, and I think it, John Wimber has that great sort of American spirit of going, wait a second, it's not enough to, to not have a proper theology and it's not enough to have a pro- not have a proper experience of God. You know, it's the American mindset of, that's not going to do. We need better than that. The English mindset is, It'll probably be all right. Uh, but the American mindset is that's not going to do. And, and, and we're hugely grateful for that. And so what we've learned, what we're just passing it on. Um, and so what we've learned in terms of praying for people is we try and make it as, as, as un, kind of um, weird as possible. Um, but if you just ho- open your hands like you're going to receive a gift, it's just a sign of being open. There's no magic to any of this. It's just a sign of being open. Um, and you might want to just close your eyes so that you're not distracted by anyone or anything. Obviously, you don't have to do this, but it would be good to do it.
And then Jesus in his teaching on prayer says, how much more will my Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to everyone who asks? Every single person who asks. Not the people who've got it all together. Not the people who've never done anything wrong. Not the people who don't have questions. Just anyone. Are you anyone? Well, ask him for his Holy Spirit. He promises to give it to you. He's a good father. And good fathers love giving good things to their children. I'm like an okay father. I'm really looking forward to giving my kids the presents that we've got for them when I get back. How much more will your Father in heaven give you good things? The Spirit is not to be feared. So just as you stand there, in your own heart and mind, just simply say, come Holy Spirit, and you don't have to do anything else. Let me just add my prayers to your prayers. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. I bless what you're doing. I bless what you're doing. I can see the Spirit is touching people here. Just let him know that he's welcome. Let him know that he's welcome. He loves you. People can feel like their their hands are shaking. They they feel a need to cry. Don't necessarily know why that is. Can feel like a flushness in your face, an energy going through you. I don't think any of these things particularly have much significance. But it's just a sign of, of him meeting you. Just let him know that he's welcome. Come, Holy Spirit, I bless what you're doing. I bless what you're doing. Just increase your power. Increase your power. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I bless what you're doing. Thank you for your power. I bless what you're doing. So we're going to kind of informally close. I'm sorry we've gone on for a bit. Um, But God bless you. Um, Thank you so much for having us. Um, Don't rush away though. Don't rush away. And if you feel like God is touching you particularly, why don't you come to the front and there'll be people here to pray for you. We're just going to bless what God's doing. In my experience, don't, don't rush away. When he's doing something, let him do it. He knows best. He knows you better than you know yourself. He's here and he has power to completely revolutionize your life. So Chris and the band are going to play. Come to the front. God bless you. Thank you so much for having us. We'll see you again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.